Hello and welcome to the Counterpress Podcast. I am your host, Kirk Kinsey, and with me tonight to recap a 6-2 drumming of the LA Galaxy is Josh Cacho. Josh, what's up, man? Um, not too much. I mean, obviously, anytime you're coming off a beating of the Crosstown Rivals, it's it's a good day to be an LAFC fan. So again, we it's 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 nice to actually be on a winning streak against the Galaxy for once, as opposed to be on the other side of things. Yeah, um, it's kind of hard to believe, but that uh, they they topped their five three scoreline from the last El Trafico, uh, as I'm sure you're all aware by now. Uh, LAFC beating the Galaxy six to two in this Orlando based uh, El Trafico that we had on Saturday night. Um, pretty incredible game, especially when you consider that we still don't have Vela and um, everything is so up in the air with the team. I'm not really sure how much they got to train, but man, especially in the second half, they looked fantastic. And I mean, there's some stuff in the first half that we'll get into here, but, um, pretty great performance and a lot to be enthusiastic about Josh, anything real quick, like any, anything off the top of your head that you want to mention or get into before we really start digging into what happened in this one? No, I mean, I think the biggest thing is obviously after the first game, there's, there was definitely some things that, that we were left a lot to be desired, right. In terms of just how the, you know, the game kind of unfolded, how things looked. Um, Obviously, you know, they put it together in the second half and you were hoping that would continue to build, but I think it was one thing to kind of, you know, there there does seem to be a little bit of a trend of these slow starts, especially in big games, you know, whether it be the first game of a tournament or, you know, another game against the Galaxy. So obviously these are some of the things that we want to kind of take a look at and see, you know, is there some deeper reasons as to why the team started that way? And then, all, you know, obviously, fortunately, we've been at a point where they've been able to make adjustments in the second half and come on strong. But, you know, um, yeah, to me, I think that was one of the things that kind of stuck out again. It's like just another slow start. Um, you know, obviously that had a much better outcome than the past than the previous game, but definitely it's something I think they need to probably keep an eye on as the tournament continues on. Yeah. I mean, against the galaxy who weren't really able to capitalize on a lot of the mistakes, um, you're probably okay with some, with some bad giveaways and, um, giving up a few counterattacks. But I mean, as we, you saw it with Houston, they had, you know, four pretty high quality attackers that were able to capitalize and it was all we could do to get back to, to manage a draw. Um, I would, I would assume that, uh, you know, against some of the more high powered teams that we may face in the, in the next couple rounds of this tournament, that it might present a bigger challenge if we start off kind of with the slow start that we did. Um, one thing that I, I found interesting about the, the first half of this match is Galaxy are always up for this one. At first, I just thought it was like a, all right, well, it's Ibrahimovic and he only tries when the lights are are brightest, right? And I think that's still true, but um, Galaxy didn't look good against Portland and they didn't necessarily look fantastic against us, but what they do is they try so hard. Uh, I don't know that I've seen a team close down passes into the midfield at all against LAFC like Galaxy consistently have. Uh, and it, it seemed like the entire first half, as soon as a ball was played, there was somebody over that, over the, you know, the recipient shoulder 
putting in a challenge. Um, and I think another thing that they did well was they had Sebastian Legette in kind of this uh, free floating role. I'm not sure if it was a four four one one or four four two or some sort of four five one. I it, not that there's a big difference between any any of those really, but Sebastian Legette kind of doing the Fabio Alvarez thing from last year, where they man mark uh, a Tuesta on all these balls into the midfield. Um, so that, I mean, that made it really difficult for us to get any sort of possession going. Um, what do you think of their formation and, the, and their shape? I mean, I think for the second year in a row, right? You, you know, Scoloto has a clear, you know, a pr- clear approach as to how he wants to shut down the, you know, the LAFC's play through the middle, right? I think knowing the personnel that he has, you know, with, one, you know, especially when healthy, you know, they have Jonah Dos Santos there alongside with Joe Corona and Sebastian Legette as their midfield three, right? Those three guys in specific are going to make life really difficult to, for you if you're not clean on the ball, right? I mean, they are, they're mm-hmm. all, you know, like Corona is a, you know, a U.S. international, you know, formerly under, under Klinsman, right? Was when he got the most cap, most of his caps, or was it Probably, under Bob? yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, but again, has played for the national team at times in his career, you know, has been around, you know, played in Liam X as well as, you know, Major League Soccer. Um, and so, you know, he, he's, you know, he's got some quality to him. Jonah Dos Santos, again, another guy with quality and legit prior to his injury um, and, and and coming to the Galaxy have been another guy who had, you know, who has some talent to him. And so if you're not going to be clean on the ball, it's going to be a problem playing the style that LAFC want to play, which is to build up through the middle of the park. And again, if you can neutralize, you know, if you can make Atuesta have to make quicker decisions, right, it puts the onus on now, you know, Mark Anthony Kay and Latif Blessing to be clean on their turns and, and how they receive the ball and those different things. And again, for the however, I don't know how many game, whatever now game in it, this is in a row, they haven't done those things. They haven't been able to do that, unfortunately. And right. so, again, that that to me is again, I I wonder what the, the ultimately the fix is for that. I think we may have seen it in the second half in terms of the adjustments that we made. Um, but again, again, their their inability does worry me to a certain degree because again, when again, they're, they obviously did that with Perry Kitchen. Right and right and and you know kind of a weird midfield that consisted of a bunch of right backs and so on and so forth in this particular game. <laughs> um, you know I don't know like so how many so I think they played four fullbacks. You know in in two at wing two at you know and two at two and actually fullback and then you're alongside your your central midfielders and so you know they're making a concerted effort to make it really difficult, but. If you're going to play that the way that we want to, and Bob's never going to change that style for the sake of, you know, for no matter who we play against, that's going to be our approach. You just now have to, it comes down to you executing, right? Like, you know, Manchester City rarely change, you know, won't change the way that they play in terms of how they possess the ball. Liverpool don't necessarily change the way they play from a game to game basis. They may change from season to season, make a little bit of tweaks here and there, but generally speaking, the way they play is the way they play. Um, and that's the mark of some of the best, you know, that identity is the mark of one of, you know, of the best teams in the world. However, if you're going to do that, you have to be clean. 
you have to be you, yeah. you have to be free of dumb mistakes and some of those things and again to me that's where i start to worry about this team because again we don't do that very well especially in the first half yeah so you you mentioned what the fixes are we certainly saw um a handful of them in the in the second half and i i don't think it was just personnel but i think personnel played the biggest part um you know, we've got this core midfield of Atuesta K and Blessing, who just kind of ran through the league last year. And they're still really good. But I think, again, you mentioned, you know, Guillermo Barros Galoto. He's got, he's kind of got this, uh, this figured out. He's got our number a little bit. And yesterday with the 4-4, four, four, yesterday, this was a Saturday, uh, with the four four one one that he's got, it shapes up really well against what essentially we trot out as a 2-1-4-3. I don't really like using those terms to like describe how it, you know, how a formation changes because to me it still looks like a 4-3-3. Three, three. Um, but effectively you have, you know, your two center backs, Edward Atuesta, and then you have Palacios and Blackman alongside K and Blessing who are kind of like in the in that first bank of of galaxy midfielders right and then you have your three attackers covered up by the four defenders so what this allows them to do is press pretty effectively because you have Pavone chasing the center backs forcing passes you have Leggett underneath them um underneath him I mean and he's man marking Edward Atuesta and then you have four on four in the midfield. And if there's no motion, if there's no movement to beat them one-on-one, then you're never going to be able to play passes uh, into the midfield, whether it's from Atuesta or from the center backs. Yeah. And certainly not Cisniega, but we can get into that later. No, no, and then occasionally you would see that long diagonal being hit from, you know, instead of trying to play directly through Atuesta, it would be like center back to fullback. And then the fullback would play back to Atuesta, and then the, the attack moves forward, and yeah. that almost had a little bit more success. And because it does get, you know, the opposing team moving left to right, which is essentially what you want to do. But the way that we've t- typically wanted to play, which is center back to Atuesta, two plays to one of the midfielders, who then can flip the ball to either a fullback overrunning or to a center or to a forward cutting inside, right? The issue comes up is that our midfield is taking one to either one too many touches or the first touch is extremely heavy, which leads yeah. to this pinball effect where the ball just kind of bounce. Like I think it was me the three two loss we had at um, at um, last year um, at their place where Vela had that late goal to kind of you know there was I think it was actually uh-huh. offside that yeah. kind of brought it back into the game. If you watch that first the whole first half of that game, it's basically just like. Ball goes to either care blessing. They kick the ball into Jordan Dos Santos, which rebounds halfway back across the field to um, uh, a Galaxy, you know, forward, and then they and then their counterattack is on, and Zlatan's yeah. you know one on one with Jordan Harvey or something along that line. That that to me is like you said is where our biggest issue in the build up occurs is when those teams are putting that extra pressure on those midfielders. When you have teams that are that are tending to sit back a little bit farther. That's where LFC can basically just kind of are just battering ram your you know your your you know your park bus until you submit you know but right. once you have these teams that are playing toe to toe that say hey you may have 
you may have all the firepower in there, but if we can make it really difficult for you in the midfield, then I dare you to hit this long ball. And we haven't either had a goalkeeper that can do it consistently or, you know, or fullbacks that can hit the long cross on a regularity. Now, maybe right. that changes in this next year. Maybe that's what the, what they're ultimately looking to do. Or maybe that the midfield, you know, may look to change over the whole years. I mean, over the next year, because that seems to be some of the personnel solutions that we saw in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. So to go over some of those things that I, I think we're seeing uh, the, some of the flaws in the midfield, again, this is, I don't want to dwell on the negative too much because uh, we went in, into the, into halftime tied up, right? Uh, two to two, and then just completely barnstormed them in, in, the, in the second half. But I think there are some things that we've been seeing for a long time. I think my biggest issue is K and Blessing aren't necessarily the greatest on the half turn. So if they're going to be pressed and if teams are going to be closing them down quickly, which has been effective, um, their their tendency, especially with Blessing, is to take a touch back and kind of buy some time while somebody runs off of them, right? Um, and the other thing that you see a lot is they'll get to whatever spot they feel is appropriate and then they'll just kind of sit. Even if they're even if they're man marked or, or covered, they're not necessarily going to do a whole lot to lose that man and then get open for a pass. Um, and I'm sure that I'm sure that has that makes tactical sense on some level. So there's some, probably some stuff that's transparent to us that Bob is wanting them to do, may, uh, possibly leaving space wide for the fullbacks or whatever. Um, but I think the combination of those two things, tending to take a, t- a touch backwards and buy time, or not being super uh, skilled on the half turn that creates some problems because the ball gets stuck. And like you said, oftentimes it'll, it will force a bad pass and somebody's there. I mean, you saw it on, uh, I think it was Atuesta. He tried to play a ball into Bradley Wright Phillips and it was taken off of, you know, it was intercepted and immediately played to Pavone who took it and scored and was then whistled offside. I'm not sure that he was absolutely offside on that one. Uh, it's tough with these camera angles, but that's a perfect example of what the galaxy have always done to us, uh, and are just not as effective at doing without, you know, a six foot seven Swede or however big he is. I, I'm not, is he six, seven? I think that's right. Yeah. Something along that line. Um, so to me, that's, that's a bit of an issue. Um, but Ultimately, we're able to score enough goals to to keep pace with everybody, and not everybody's midfield is as deep as the galaxies either. Um, even when they don't have Jonah dos Santos, so um, no, I, I there's not a whole lot of need to to dwell on that. I don't think. One thing that I did want to ask you about, Josh, is Pablo Cisniega, um, who to me, when he's when he's stopping shots, he he's just brimming with confidence. Uh, I think there's some questions about him and his ability to play with his feet that we can get into. But what do you think about him as a shot stopper, just as kind of like a pure goalkeeper? So, I mean, even even last year, I think you saw you saw the, those flashes in terms of his ability to stop shots, right? That that is his his skill set, you know. Like where whereas at times you would you would really want, you know, like you know, did did Tyler Miller have the yips at times when you know when Zlatan was coming or when you know a mm-hmm. shot was coming away? You didn't really trust his hands at times to be able to make you know to be able to hold on to things. Whereas I feel sound with with Cisnega's ability to stop shots, get in, in his aggressiveness because he does. He is an aggressive goalkeeper, 
different in terms of how he how he plays the ball. Um, my issue with that in mind, though, is that LAFC are rarely seeing that amount of shots on, in on goal. Right, mm-hmm. like we are a front-footed team, which means you have to make one or two stops a game, which is fine. But the rest of the time, you have to be able to now direct the offense and 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 kind of get the offense in goal and be the extra midfielder, quote unquote midfielder, when the time comes to be able to get a team moving from left to right, so that way the you can unlock the bus. Yeah. Um, and so that that I think is probably the biggest reason as to why he's not quite. Um, you know, hasn't solidified himself as as the number one guy quite yet, and why they, you know, we look to a guy like Vermeer to hopefully come into it because Vermeer, having played for teams like Ajax and Feyenoord at the top of, you know, who who are regularly in the top half of the Eredivisie, you know, in the standings, are our teams that are going to be on the front foot, are our teams that play from are regularly play from the back. That's a Dutch style approach to the game, right. um, you know. I think Cruyff took it from there to Barcelona and so on and so forth, and so. With that Dutch style of, of of kind of playing from the back and doing those different things, you know that that ultimately is how you know the the team's philosophy in terms of being able to play up. Again, from a shot stopping perspective, he's fine. You know, he's probably you know thus far he's been probably the best we've had over the last couple of years, and that includes you know um, Vermeer thus far. Yeah. However, again, like I said, the the I think the real one of the reasons why he hasn't quite. You know, just taking the reins of the number one is his, you know, again, inability to play the ball and to play passes, especially under pressure, you know, receive the ball, some of these things. And I think you mentioned this a little bit, um, you know, you know, pre, you know, some of our talks in leading, you know, during the game and in the following days about how a couple instances where he looked just kind of uncomfortable and that kind of led to some turnovers, which yeah, again, yeah. we don't, we're trying to limit it. We're already doing that enough in the midfield, let alone need to doing it from the back as well right I, I mean i'm glad you brought up cruyff because i mean his so again he you know starts at ix and uh he, he that he's the reason that they have the style that they do that dutch style that you're talking about which i think he summed up best one time as are uh, you know the first defender is the striker and the first attacker is the keeper um which is obviously the inverse of what most people would think about you know what the layman would consider when when looking at how a soccer game is played. Um, so, and I mean, this is undeniably what Bob is is doing with this team and he's succeeding at doing it as well, um, is, is trying to play that style. And you, you're 100% right on him taking to Barcelona. I mean, he's kind of the godfather of, of what they've been doing for so long. Um, so we do need a keeper that can play that style. Um, and there was there were two incidents that I wanted to bring up with Cisniego where I thought we, that kind of really stood out to me for different reasons. The first one was in the 42nd minute. Um, I think it may have been Blackman who picks up the ball as it's about to go over the over the end line, and he plays it across to Cisniega, who's not necessarily under pressure, but he receives it with the wrong foot, so he receives it with the you know not across his body, um, which is typically a small thing. Um, and again, far be it from me to criticize a professional soccer player, but these are just the things that I notice, um, as, as a coach and somebody that is trying to train kids to play the right way. Right. Um, so he receives it with the wrong foot and it takes him that much longer to position his body, reposition his body, to be able to play a pass out to the left wing. 
And in that time, Christian Pavone has already closed. So instead of what should have been like a very easy reception under no pressure across the body, body's already in position to play the next pass along. And um, instead, it's I've received it wrong. Now I got to shift the body and he's he's forced to rush a pass and he just kicks it straight out of bounds. He's aiming for Diego Palacios on the wing and just shorts him by probably 20 yards out of bounds, um, which is something that obviously uh, can't happen when you are the team's first attacker, right? But the other thing I wanted to bring up was during the penalty, so he obviously saves the first and then is whistled to come off of, whistled for coming off the line too early. And I don't know if you noticed, Josh, but um, after the first shot, he's still staring down Pavone and he's talking to him as the camera zooms in on him and he's pointing to the right post saying, go to the side again. Let's see it. Let's see you go to the side again. Right. And Pavone, the camera cuts away to Pavone and he can't look at him. He's looking straight at the ground. So, I mean, he's in his head and Pavone ultimately scores a a, a great penalty. He hits it hard and low. Cisniega guesses the right side, but he's never going to get to that ball. But that's really impressive to me that um, instead of being intimidated by, you know, this guy that that we're told is supposed to be top five, maybe top three in the league, uh, he's just openly taunting him as he's about to take another penalty. Um, so I thought that was really cool. And it, it speaks to his ability as, as a shot stopper and a guy that isn't going to back down from those shots when and if they do come through. Um, Anything else on Cisniega here, Josh, before we move on? Yeah, I mean, if if we if we thought that that Tyler Miller had the yips and, and especially when it dealt this lot dealt with Zlatan, right? What you saw from Cisniega was the exact opposite of that. You know, yeah. in, his, in his dealing with with uh, Pavone. And so again, he has he has the mental the mental you know, the mental the mentality to do it. He has, you know, the shot stopping ability. And again, if they can just now develop that last little part in terms of his distribution and an ability to, you know, again, to be that first line, that first attacker in the buildup, you know, it'll go a long way to him now cementing himself as the regular starter, you know, because again, I think that that's likely the last thing that they're looking for and likely why, why they'll probably go back to Vermeer for the time being, or at least until. You know, because again, I think some of Vermeer's issues are coming from, you know, just familiarity with the backline and being able to direct things and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I think the expectation was probably that he was going to have, you know, my guest Blackman and, and Segura in front of him. You know, and so then we've had a kind of a shifting of players throughout the backline fairly regularly thus far. Um, and so yeah, so that's that that's where I'm at with that. Obviously, you know, things are going to. You know, we'll see what it looks like moving forward. But, you know, I think that's probably the one thing at this point that's keeping him from being the regular starter. And again, because we've all seen him in those moments that really gave us, you know, that confidence and faith in him, you know, last year. But there's always a reason why, you know, for some reason, Bob kept going away from it. And I think ultimately it has to do with that that fact that, you know, again, with because of his distribution and the fact that we're generally playing on the front foot, we need a little bit more from him in terms of his passing ability. Right. Yeah. Um, another guy I wanted to talk about, Josh, was BWP, who, uh, I mean, I know we saw him in the last match, but in this match, I felt like there were just so many little things that he did um, over the course of his, I don't know, 60 minutes or so that made me just excited about 
seeing that kind of craftiness from from a striker where we've had you know we've had Dio and Dio um when he's healthy is this kind of bruising uh, number nine, who's not afraid to drop it in the midfield and combine and then just <laughs> take off uh, on a on a horse down the field and nobody wants to get in his way because he, he, he just looks like he's going to take people out like a linebacker, right? Um, where BWP is much smaller and he's just so good with all the little details. Um, and I mean, it's him, it's, it's him that wins the, the, the penalty on the corner kick um, by just outclassing and potentially diving when Perry kitchen grabs him. Uh, what do you think of that, of that penalty call? I mean, it, it is like the quintessential, like old man basketball move, right? Like mm-hmm. literally this, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's soft, right? You know, like if I'm Perry kitchen, I'm probably livid that I got, you know, suckered into, into that whole thing, but yeah. he knows exactly what he's doing. The second he feels the hook, he was going down immediately, mm-hmm. right? And it's the same way you see, you know, James Harden in the NBA draw the, you know, draw stupid fouls. Um, uh, you know, like you're like, how how do you fall for that? Every, you know, I'm like, and again, the same thing has like, how, how do people fall for these little tricks that these veterans play every single time? But at the same time, I'm just glad he's on our team because again, yeah. some of the things he does, it again, it's just silky smooth. You know, like you're saying, whereas Dio is more in the mold of like a um, Diego Costa type of striker, right? More, yeah, totally. you know, he's, he's back, back to basket, can back you in, can make those, those bruising runs. He's going to go through you rather than, rather than around you. Whereas you have BWP who I think on the, not on his goal, but on the goal that Rossi scores at the rebound. When the pass comes from, from K, he, the reason why he's so wide open to accept, you know, to be able to, and first of all, get the ball on his front foot and then get a good shot on target is because of the move he makes even before the ball's released. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you go back to that moment, um, again, this is on, on Rossi's second goal, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You see him take one step inside. He faints inside. Um, I think it was Gonzalez, Gio Gonzalez. Yeah. Who yeah. was the name? basically just starts moving inside with that move and then he basically just slips under him goes to, to the right and then now receives the ball across his body onto his shooting foot and boom one and has that you know has takes one touch and basically has a great shot on goal um yeah. with enough and again because of the power he gets on it because of the way all the setup to that moment now he gets enough power behind it where now Bingham can't field it cleanly and then Rossi's able to finish it up you know for the for the goal in that moment. And so, again, it's all those little things, the body faint, the positioning, all those little things, again, letting the ball run across his body before he receives that as opposed to trying to take that touch early and then play it into space. You know, like sometimes you'll see the striker do that. Well, you know, they'll take an early touch and try to flick it on into space and then catch up to it or whatever. This was very much like body faint early, let the ball run across him. Then he's on the ball. And so the one touch is basically just a setup for the shot as opposed to, I'm going to take this touch to accelerate away from the defender, which sometimes, again, be, depending on the touch, is either really great or really bad. Um, and you know, we've seen we've seen both, you know, over the course of you know, over the years. And so, this is one of those situations where, again, there's a reason why the man has scored 100 goals in this league, and a mm. lot of it is because of again, it's just those little things, 
right? Yeah. And, and again, it's just so smooth. Um, you know, again, I, I'd probably have to come, you know, it's, there's, I, I, it's, I'm hard pressed to think of someone who scores goals the way he does. But again, it's all these little, again, he just does all the little things right to put himself in, in the, to put himself in the right opportunity to get on the end of a, you know, of a pass and, and put that thing home. Right. He, I mean, it really is just, that that feint that you're describing so I did tweet about it. Um, I I recorded video off my TV, so I apologize for the bad quality. But you can go to my Twitter feed and find it there uh, to show as you know it's Blackman. And I do want to talk about this goal in more depth because I feel like it's one of the solutions to our to the problem when our midfield is being uh, is being pressed like they were this night. Um, but Blackman plays a pass into K. And the feint is on that ball. He makes Gonzalez think that he's coming out to get it, right? And then lets it run to K. And what I, one of the things that I, I love most about it is it fits our style, right? Bob wants to attack the space between the center backs by, explo- by exploiting the half space with our midfielders, right? So you have two midfielders who are in the half space that are supposed to kind of draw the center backs wide and open space up for inverted wingers or... Uh, or the number nine, right? So he does just that. It's like he takes the space in between Steres and uh, and Gonzalez and opens it up by five or six yards, which makes that pass from K even easier um, to one time. So uh, it's just, it's like such a perfect distillation of what Bob wants to do with with the way we attack. Um, so I, I was really giddy over it. I clearly still am four or five days later. Um but yeah, he, he's so good. The other thing that I, that I really like, his finish on on his goal, which came, I guess, in the second, that, that was our third goal. So, I don't know, a few minutes into the second half. Um, he receives a ball from Rodriguez, I think, and cuts it back across the box, dances around a little bit, and gets, uh, I, at this point, I don't remember what center back it is, just to bite a little bit. And he finishes it under that, so it's underneath that center back, but around the keeper and inside the far post, uh, which is just like this tidy little finish it's as if it was just, you know, we're just passing, we're just passing around the training grounds. Um, he really is so smooth and it doesn't make anything harder than it has to be. Um, and I, I loved watching him and I, I look forward to seeing him more. Yeah, I mean, I come to, I mean, the crazy thing is the thing that, you know, he would have been, you know, initially the what third choice striker, you know, at the beginning of the year. And, yeah, right. You know, and now, yeah, I guess, yeah behind Vela and, and Dio, right? Yeah, and part of that obviously is health, and again, you know, like, and no one is going to start over Vela in this team at the moment. But again, it just gives you so many. You know, again, it, it's an embarrassment of riches. You know. Um, but again, I you have to give that up to you know the front office um, in terms of how they've built this team and how they've looked to find talent. You know, and we'll talk about that more, especially when it comes to the midfield. Um, you know, like ultimately, what used to be you know what used to be true of how to build teams. You know, and Kobe Jones mentioned it on on their podcast with Vince. Um, as a Golteca, Golteca, right? check that one out. Hashtag you know? hire Vince. Um, yeah, so on, on their podcast, he mentioned, you know, just how the, 
you know how you, teams used to be at the drop off between the DP level and then the next and then next guy used to be so immense. And now again, it it comes about building the team as a whole, and you can tell that you know get Thornton and and Bob Bradley have put this team together in a way that I think is is ready for this next era, in a way that we thought Atlanta is, and you know again maybe is not based on what we've seen lately. Um, you know, but at least at least look like it in, in their first couple of years, you know, and and how again you're going to have to now build teams in a different way than I think you did five to ten years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think the the way this team is built uh, is a good blueprint, and I uh, it's interesting to me that nobody nobody seems to follow the same the same methodology. Um, even though logically I don't know how it would make sense to do it any other way, but you essentially have uh, a coach and a GM that work together to develop a style and an identity. And they go out and scout players that fit that mold. And I mean, obviously they're going to be opportunistic when it comes to expansion and who they choose in the expansion draft and who they sign initially. Um, but as we'll get into when we get into the second half, the the guys that they're bringing in from South America and that they're scouting and that they're developing through the pipeline uh, with the academy, um, this kind of uh, wh- where you have this philosophy distributed through every level of the club, from the front office all the way down to the youth academy coaches, everybody's bought into this one system. Um, so everything's going to look the same all the way through. Um and to me, it gives me a lot of faith for the next five to ten years if they can, you know, if they can keep that vision and continue to scout and and sign players the way they are. Um, I do want to get into that second goal a little bit more because I think it provides an opportunity to discuss like how we can get around uh, those those midfield struggles a little bit where when you have kind of a static midfield of K and blessing aren't really shaking their men. Um, you see Tristan Blackman comes back on a, on a ball cleared by the galaxy to pick it up off of, off of Yakovic. And he just decides to carry the ball. And what that does is it forces Perry kitchen to come out and basically leave Latif blessing. Joe Corona leaves Mark Anthony K. And so Mark Anthony K is now available for service. And it's because Tristan Blackman gets that initial penetration by just carrying the ball. So as, as you mentioned earlier, where if you can get the ball to your fullbacks and then have them decide whether to play it into the midfield or play it down the wing or whatever, um, you can open up some of the space for the midfield because the other team is going to have to relax and you can kind of pull them out of shape a little bit. Um, so that to me was an example of, you know, one simple way of, of trying to break through these, I, I, you can't really say bunkered because they're not, you know, they're not in like a really compact four, four, two or something um, more in a mid block, but um, they were being pretty stubborn about their shape. Uh, do you see that as something replicable, Josh? Absolutely. Because again, I think it, it, you know, it, it becomes one of the situations where you, each each player has to be able to take the responsibility to now initiate things when the opportunity presents itself, right? It can't always be Atuesta who has to initiate the offense. It can't always be that things have to be played this way or the other. It has to be okay. If Atuesta is covered, then my next move, if I'm Jakovic, is to take three steps forward, pull the defender, play the ball out to to um, 
the black men and then then now we're off to the races right and so i think what what happens at times especially in these situations where we have the quote-unquote star player and again we in even in major league soccer way we we make special rules in terms of how we can even pay them and all these different things we almost put your you, know, you almost pigeonhole yourself into thinking that we have to do things a certain way or have to you know like Look at the galaxy last year, right? Everything had to be fed through Zlatan, right? Everything has to be this way. This is how we have to do things. <laughs> they Whereas, drilled it in so hard that they can't get rid of it now. Yeah. They still play like that as if they had him. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, LEFC are drilling to play a specific way, but it also doesn't mean that you always have to make this one particular pass, right? Mm-hmm. It's what's my trying. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm the ball and I'm a center back, I have my, my three guys in my triangle, you know, your little triangle, your, your, what's the, what's the game that they always play when they do the passing stuff in the Rondo, the Rondo. Yeah. So you have your little Rondo triangle where it's like, okay, I can either hit this guy or this guy. And based on who I pass it to, the next move is this, or if both guys are covered that I need to take up the available space. But oftentimes what you start seeing guys do is in open space, they stand there and they look, they look, they look, they look, and then nothing happens. And the next thing that they just, kick a ball 60 yards downfield and then it's, it's to a turnover right mm-hmm. and what good does that really do in terms of build up as opposed to okay the available space is there i need to trust that the guy that you know that my teammates are now going to adjust to me based on what the decision that i've made right it's like if Yakovic has to step up forward now you'll see everything slide behind him you know maybe you know cheeky sits um the def- you know the Segura will slide he comes over, so now Yakovic is ostensibly the one of the, you know, the the defensive midfielders or something along that line. You know, in leasing your shape, you know, so the shape changes based on those decisions that are made. Whereas I think sometimes we, like you were saying, we get caught into these, in these things where it's like these are the specific places that I have to be and do these different things, as opposed to reacting a little bit more and playing with that freedom based on you know again just having that that intuition or that that oh sense of awareness as to what's the appropriate thing for me to do not just have to pass here but to now take a dribble here or whatever it may be given the circumstance so speaking of intuition i want to talk about a player who seems to have like an outsized (laughs) amount of it and that's francisco ginella this kid um, I mean, I profiled him for the banknote when we first signed him and, you know, I was like combing through Uruguayan league <laughs> game footage, wherever I could find it. Uh, and he looked good. He looked tidy on the ball, looked calm, you know, always making the right pass. But, uh, I think I underrated him and I was pretty high on him. He is so good on the ball, off the ball, um, with his his one touch passing, he's his tactical awareness. Everything that the, the, that he did on Saturday night was fantastic, and to me, he was the biggest difference uh, in in the team in the second half. Once he came on, I don't remember who he replaced. I think he may have come on for BWP. Oh no, that was Elmonir came on for him. Um, oh, Janela came on for Yakovic. Blessing moved out of the midfield to right back and Blackman moved to center back. And I, similar to BWP and how I loved watching him, I loved watching Janela do all these little things where you see him just habitually checking his shoulder to make sure he knows where everybody on the field is. 
Um, there was one specifically, a lot of times you'll guys, you'll see guys check their shoulders on offense because they want to know how much time they have on the ball. But I noticed this one specifically because uh, they were playing defense and the Galaxy had the ball down their own left wing at the 61st minute. And he looks over his shoulder and realizes that there's a back post runner and that Cheeky has cut inside to help defend the cross. And he just picks up the runner, like super casual. He's not he's not sprinting. He just sees him with plenty of time, jogs over, and is there to, to intercept the cross. And that was one of those moments where I'm like, man, this guy is just always going to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and then, you know, his passing is just so clean. Uh, it's a, it's a contrast to, to Latif who kind of plays this frenetic, uh, you know, we always refer to him as the anti 10 where he's just going to press and press and press and drive opposing back lines crazy because he's going to be so relentless. Um, what do you think of Janela, Josh? I mean, I think that to me, the way that he plays in that anticipation is, I don't want to say the antithesis, but it is the upgrade to what struggles we've had in the half turn, right? Again, some of these teams, again, whether it be Seattle or the Galaxy, right, that are that are more attacking teams that are going to get after you, but also, um, you know, are just going to make it tough for you to play through the midfield. Um, not everyone, again, is going to sit back and allow us to just, you know, take 75% possession. Some teams are going to try, you know, are going to and have, you know, the ability to at least, you know, put up a fight through the middle of the park. And if done right, you know, like I said, we don't always come out on top when it comes to that. And so when you have a guy like that who can anticipate the run, anticipate the pass, especially in the half turn. So, yeah, if a ball is played from the center, you know, from Atuesta to him, and again, it's before the ball even gets to him, it's check the shoulder. He sees that runner, you know, like usually from the, from the fullback coming on the overlap or, checking to see if one of the forwards has cut inside and you see the pass happen. Like he's seeing that pass happen before the ball even gets there. And mm-hmm. so before, even though they're marking him tight before that guy can even get there, the ball's already out. And I think that's the thing that allows LAFC to play the way that they want to, especially, you know, in building up through the middle against teams that are, you know, that are, you know, that are playing up, that are pressing a little bit harder. That's, that is how you cleanly approach, you know, how you come out of that turn cleanly and, and continue to build it, you know, and continue to build a play through a more congested, you know, midfield. Um, again, you hope to see it more. I think it's a testament to what the front, like we were talking about earlier, what the front office is doing in terms of, again, as much as we've come to love the players that we have on the team, you know, especially because some of them have been there from the beginning and they've worked their butts off in, in service of the team. It is the front office's job at all times to continue to upgrade and continue to improve the roster. Mm-hmm. And I have to wonder, while some of the guys that, we, you know, whether it was blessing through the expansion draft or bringing in K from, you know, from USL, is now that the, the team has had time and money to go and find a guy that fits the system perfectly. Is that now what we're starting to see with this next wave of signings, you know, in the midfield and so on and so forth, right? Is again, the plan now going to that next level and are we seeing that next, you know, while K and blessing ceiling maybe is MLS all-star, which is great. And that's awesome. But I have to wonder if the next level is what we're starting to see from some of these younger players. 
Yeah, to me, when I watch him, now don't take this the wrong way for anybody listening. He, he's like, if we're making the Barcelona comparisons, he's the one that I would actually compare to Xavi. Not that he's as good or ever will be as good, but just this guy who's this maestro, sees everything before it happens and is therefore able to outwork the competition, not necessarily by executing faster, but because he's already um, he's already seen it and decided what he's going to do before you can react. Um, Josh, have you ever heard of something called the OODA loop? This is a very military term. I'm sorry. No, I haven't. What so is- it's this thing. I don't I, I, we've never talked about this before, but uh, it just came to mind when you were talking about about him being able to just outcycle people. Uh, this is, there was this I can't remember the guy's name. I think he was an Air Force pilot, um, and he uh, because the military loves acronyms, he came up with this term called OODA, O O D A, and the idea is you observe, orient, decide, and act. And the idea was in dogfights, if you could observe the other plane, orient your plane, and then decide and act, uh, like orient yourself to the problem, Mm, then decide and act on it, the faster and and tighter that you could make that, you know, that loop in your own brain, the more successful you were going to be against a competitor. And to me, as you were talking, that's what, that's exactly what I thought of is he's got this super, this super efficient OODA loop in his own head where He's just outthinking everybody before anything ever happens on the field. Yeah, and I, so, like you said, by the time the ball's at his own feet, he, you know, he plays a one-time pass and, and it, it's a way. Um, you saw this on a handful of the plays that, that we made. Uh, he's the one with the assist on, uh, on El Munir's goal. On that goal, if you stop and look at it, Mark Anthony K is the easier pass, and he kind of curves it around a defender right into Elmanir's feet. And I mean, Elmanir does, does really well to, you know, put up a fake shot and then faint again and create enough space to take it, you know, this rocket of a shot. Um, but he, he really is just so great on the ball. I, I love his game. If it were up to me, uh, which it is not, he would probably be the new starter. I would imagine he's got, you know, another five to six, maybe even seven games before, uh, Bob's going to fully trust him. Maybe he'll get a start before then, but um, to me, he's already the guy uh, because he's just, he's such a perfect fit for what Bob is trying to do. Um, yeah. Anything else on Janela before we move on here, Josh? I mean, I think colloquially we, we call that like the game slowing down, right? When they, they use that term, yeah. it's like the, the game yeah. slows down for him. Whereas, you know, I think you see it and you see it with that Tuesta, you see it with Vela is that, they're so good at the little things because it's probably been done over and over and over again and repeated that now they can see things at another level. Whereas with some players, because they're, they're still, you know, some of the things that they're doing are new to them. You know, it new, maybe it's new when they came to LAFC or, you know, new because they're playing in a different position. Um, they don't have that next level ability to think at that, at that speed mainly because their brain is still processing how to do that that basic maneuver mm-hmm. previous to it. And so I think you know, part of that may be that, again, he's set, he is, you know, it seems like a guy that has basically played that position, you know, since he came out the womb. And so you have to wonder, you know, again, does that l- allow the game to slow down in front of him so that way he can make that 
those anticipatory things again and you start to see it you know you see it already from guys like vela and and rossi and and rodriguez in the attack and so on and so forth same thing with bwp and they're not thinking about certain things because again they've done it so many different times that it's just a natural thing for them to do whereas i think yeah. there's a few, there's some guys that bob is still in the process of coaching up that it won't be until they've what what is the thing until they've done it 10,000 times or whatever the amount that you're supposed to do to Malcolm. Oh, the 10,000, the Malcolm Gladwell, right? Yeah. 10,000 hours. Until you've achieved mastery to be able to now think at that level, right? Um, there's a book that talks about it. It's called Thinking Fast and Slow. If everyone wants to dive into some some into the deep end with some of those things, take, check that one out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about another South American midfielder real quick. Jose Cifuentes comes on. He's another one that looked, you know, fantastic out there. Uh, definitely a little more raw than than Janela, but just his fresh legs. Uh, he comes on for Mark Anthony K, who um, I didn't think had a bad game at all. I thought I thought K looked pretty good, aside from the few quibbles we've had over uh, he and Blessing. But um, Cifuentes comes on and just brings like a new life. And I mean, at this point, once we had like the all South America U23 squad out there. It just broke Galaxy to the point where they couldn't. It, it was almost as if they gave up and we're just watching all these kids run circles around them. Uh, one of the funnier moments I thought, um, I don't know if you noticed this, Josh, but I think it's in the, let me check my notes, the 73rd minute. Pavone gets through on the, on the right wing and Palacios chases him down and May, you know, he, he tackle, you know, makes a good tackle and Pavone goes to ground. And he, like the, it's, it's so embarrassing for Pavone that he gets up and he fakes a, a pulled hamstring. I don't know if you notice this or not, but yeah, I think he had know, like a sliding and just kind of kicked out of bounds or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He, so, and then gets up and is holding his hamstring, which to me is like, all right, if you're going to fake an injury, don't fake a hamstring. Like, because yeah. if you really pulled your hamstring, you're toast, right? Like fake, like you hurt your ankle or something. But not that. I don't know. You, you're the expert on that. What do you think? What what should what kind of injury should he have faked there? The the, the ankle tweak is always the one that is is always the go to. Anytime you fake muscle injuries, it's it becomes really apparent because again, the, you can't move if that's the case. Yeah, versus right. the ankle. I mean, how many of us have sprained an ankle? You just you know rub mm-hmm. some dirt on it and shake it off. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, pretend you got hit in the gonads or something, right? Yeah, <laughs> but not, not that. I just thought it was funny that, Pal- that Palacios makes this great defensive play and uh, just immediately fakes injured. It's fantastic. No, I mean, it's, it's, again, it speaks volume to the team building again, but also the fact that LFC, I think, over the is the one team over the course of this tournament that will take advantage of the five substitution rule. I think they may be the only team that can that has a depth to do it. Can, can you imagine when everyone went healthy? Right, you you still could technically have a deal coming off that bench, or what previously probably would a BWP coming off that bench. Um, can you imagine having to deal with BWP for sixty minutes in his old man game, and all of a sudden you have a raging bull coming at you in the second half for another thirty minutes, and that's right. and that's just set forward. Beyond that, you're going to have to deal with that back. You know, guys like El Manier, you know, who you know again may not be the greatest defensive fullback, but again is hitting bangers from left fullback. Um, yeah, but the well, left I mean, midfield. He came in at left wing in this match, right? Yeah. He comes in for BWP. Mm-hmm. Rossi slots into the into the nine, and you have El Munir out on the left wing, and, I, and that's actually the uh, 
the the question we got for the the one question we got from Maya Minert at Shop Beat Sleep. Shout out to her. Do you think Bob should play El Manier more, Josh? I mean, I think at yes, especially because of what he can, you know, again, what from an offensive perspective, what Sparky's going to bring again against most of these teams. Defense again. Defense against the counter is really what you're, what you're struggling, what you want to make sure that you have, as opposed to actually having to be a stout defender one on one. You know, again, there's not, mm-hmm. you know, Jordan Morris is probably the only person right that you're gonna see out there that you're gonna have to pause for. Yeah, I'm not that worried. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, when it comes to the things that he can do, at minimum. Right, what it's going to start to do is at least you say people get to think, man, if I can, you know, what can we offer LFC to bring, you know, for that part, you know, for him at left back? Now LFC continue to add to their embarrassment of riches, you know, throughout the park because I think at the end of the day, that's I I'm not, you know, again, I think the their their long term solution right now at this moment is probably cheeky, um, and I and I don't really see that changing anytime soon. And so, you know, again, I'm not sure where he fits in the bigger picture, but for a tournament of the, you know, a tournament in this way, and especially given what we're lacking at on the wing at the moment, he's not a bad option. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm I'm kind of hard pressed to take out Cheeky. He had some, you know, nervy and lackadaisical moments that I think it's his uh, lack of attempting to win a header that causes the second goal from the penalty. It seems like Atuesta has like a poor clearance and I don't know, some, somebody from Galaxy goes up and wins the header and Cheeky just kind of stays on his feet watching. Um, and then Joe Corona gets stepped on after Yakovic gets the ball, but that's for a discussion for another day probably. Um, so, I mean, maybe you can get some more defensive effort, but I mean, that's how, that's how he's going to learn, right? He's got to be able to play and you have to be able to trust him to, to work through that stuff. And really the only way he's going to get better is by getting more minutes. So I, I don't know if I bring in El Munir necessarily to, to replace Cheeky as a starter, but I absolutely love him as a second half sub for BWP like this. Uh, I mean, clearly he's got the offensive quality um, and he was part of the, you know, that, the the second half performance that just absolutely broke their back where, um, you have so many guys rotating. I mean, look at where El Munir started for that goal, right? He's over practical on the right wing. And this is one of the things that I really saw once all the South Americans came on is if you watch the midfield and the wingers, they're, they're interchanging more frequently than they were before. Um, the, you know, the wingers are switching sides. El Munir pops up on the right and scores a goal. Uh, there were two goals where, that were created because Rossi and Rodriguez dropped way back into the midfield. Um, so I, this is a long answer to, to Maya's question. Sorry. Uh, but he was, he was certainly part of that, uh, of that transition. Like you said, when we're missing, when we're missing a guy like Vela and now Dio who's exited the bubble because he's injured. Um, so you're down to Danny Musavsky, right. As your backup striker. Uh, the better option is going to be to bring on El Munir at left wing and, and keep Rossi on the field. Yeah, um, and, it, and it allows you to play even a little bit more defense and then, you know, exploit the counter with Rodriguez and Rossi up top. And again, I'm not. there's not too many teams who can contend with that either. Yeah, right. Uh, last thing I want to shout out is, you know, the variety of, of, of places that 
LAFC are scouting. Another another sub that came on with about five minutes to go, my boy Bryce Duke comes on, and he looks like he fits right in, right? It's not like you, you bring on this kid who's nervous to get on the ball. One of the first things he does is he cuts in from the left wing and rips a shot that forces David Bingham to go full stretch. Uh, I mean, you you have to love that kind of confidence and for a kid to come on to the, to the field like that and just start pinging balls and, and shots at goal. Um, and you know, this is a kid that they just, that, you know, they found at the Barca Academy in Arizona. So it, again, another testament to John, John Thorrington and the identity that he and Bob have built and their ability to go out and get it done. Yeah. I mean, like I said, he's, it, it's embarrassing to think again, it's an embarrassment of riches. That's what I'm trying to say um, as to the way that this team has, has been built and, Ultimately, again, the issue, the biggest issue is how do you find minutes for all of them, right? And ultimately, yeah. you, you can't do that. And, you know, there's going to be guys that, that move on because, you know, they've been replaced or whatever it may be. And, that, you know, again, who knows what that'll look like in the next few, you know, what what will, what things will look like in the, in the coming years as people move and do different things. But again, because I think the goal is for, I think the, the plan and the goal has always been for LAFC to hopefully be a, a springboard for other guys to bigger things. And then and once people see that happening, um, you know, whether it be via, you know, Rossi or Atuesta or some of these guys, you'll start to see more and more talent coming up, you know, using this as a pipeline and so on and so forth, you know, and not necessarily doing it for DP money, but doing it for that, that mid-level TAM money or whatever it may be, which, yeah. you know, really benefits LAFC in terms of how you're going to build how you can team build. Yep. Yep. Um, bringing that up, I, I don't know if you heard him ask or heard him talk about it, but after shortly after the penalty, uh, Taylor Twumming is, you know, talking about whatever. And he mentions Diego Rossi and how LAFC are entertaining offers for him. And that he thinks they're, they're holding out for too much money. He mentioned the Fiorentina deal and LAFC not willing to listen to anything under 18 million for him. Taylor Twelman think, seems to think that he's going to get, he, that he's going to fetch like 13 to 15. So I want to ask you, Josh, before we get out of here tonight, what is he worth? So prior to the, prior to this season, I'm not sure he was wrong. Right. I mean, I think, like I said, that in just based on the way that Rosie had played and some, and occasionally disappeared, you know, 15 million seemed like a good number, right? 14, 15, you know, you paid what? Seven for him, I think, to get him. I think it was only two. Oh, well, yeah. So a $13 million profit, not bad. But I think now you're looking, I want to say somewhere between 20 and 25 is probably the minimum that you got to take for him just based on what, you know, like I said, if he continues to rip apart this tournament and score at the rate he is, especially in absence of a Carlos Vela, Right. Um, mm-hmm. There's always a place for pacey wingers, right? Who can put the ball in the back of the net in Europe, right? Yeah. Whether that be in Germany, whether that be in Italy, somewhere. And he already has a EU passport. So it'll make it, he's going to be a lot more, um, a more attractive option than other guys, other South Americans even would be because of that fact. Um, yeah. Because again, that, like that passport thing makes it is a big deal as it pertains to work permits and all these weird things that they do in Europe. Yeah. I, I mean, he really has, I mean, so, you know, two like last year we kind of talked about 
some of his finishing was still a little bit raw. A lot of it, you know, a lot of his goals are coming on breakaways. Uh, he'll score in bunches, but you know, it, it would only come in waves, right? So he'd either score a hat trick or nothing. Um, and this season he seemed to iron out those kinks. What I thought was really funny about, uh, Taylor Twelman talking about this was, it was after he scored one goal and he's kind of talking down the deal. Right. And then he scored, he ended up scoring four in that same game. Uh, kind of the opposite of the commentator's curse, I suppose. Um, but I think he's absolutely worth 20 to 25. Like you said, he's a, he's a very fast, uh, winger that who can now finish. Uh, he's, he can put the, the team on his shoulder. He can lead the team. He's taking penalties. He's scoring, you know, all the, the sitters that he should, he's scoring absolute bangers. He's is with both feet with his head. I mean, the, the kid has just, uh, completely leveled up in the past, in the past year. And I don't see any reason that he shouldn't get 20 to 25 million. Um, I know that there were some reports that even RB Leipzig were, were interested, which I think would be a, a really fun fit for him given how fast he is and, uh, how, how much energy he always has throughout the entire game. So it'd be I mean, fun. If he ends up there, I mean, it would be a good opportunity if, if Leipzig plays against, uh, Byron to see who's the actual better, uh, MLS product. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Him or Alfonso Davies, right? Yeah. So, oh, you know, like the, and Desco's there too. We'll yeah. To and, and, Bund- a lot of Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and the thing is, it's like, you have to think a guy like Almiron sold for 27, mm-hmm. right? And I think Rossi has had, you know, like his numbers, I mean, maybe not from an assist standpoint. And again, they still have yet to win, you know, like a MLS Cup the way that Almiron brought to Atlanta. But at the same time, you know, you think 17 goals last year, 12 the year before. And I think he still had, he also had eight assists last year. So 17 and eight. Almiron's best year at Atlanta was, I think he had 12, 12, 12 goals in his, mm. in his second year there. And, you know, so again, he's outpacing a guy that was already sold for 20, you know, for more money. And I think is yeah. older. He's 26. You know, Diego Rossi is what, 20? 22, I think. Right. So he's younger, has put yeah. up big numbers. Again, I, I don't see any reason why, again, a guy who was putting up 17 and 8 and then continuing to do it at a crazy clip, you know, in, heading into this next year shouldn't be worth, you know, like I said, just as much, if not more. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we get to enjoy him in the black and gold for a little bit longer. Josh, anything else before we get out of here tonight? No. Like I said, I think you said, I think it's one of those games where you just need to bask in the glory, enjoy the enjoy the the sorrow and misery of of all the galaxy fans out there you know oh, man you, twitter you, twitter has been so fantastic yeah, if you need something like four or five days going yeah. now it's, it's absolutely some, brilliant yeah go if you need something to soothe your soul go into their into their reddit and just read the comments about how much they want to fire gbs and bring in robbie Keane or some other <laughs> random person and assume that it's going to make everything better um, yeah. yeah, like I said, it's, it, it is a thing of beauty these days just to under, you know, again, because they don't have as lot to pack to paper up those cracks. So now you really see their, all their problems really starting to come out in a way that they were already there in 2017 when they were the golden, well, no wooden spoon winners, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or losers, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Well, 
we will be back uh, either Thursday or Friday to recap the Portland Timbers match. I think that's Thursday at 7.30 p.m., right? Yeah. Um, so hopefully we can end the group uh, on a high note and you know move on to the next round. But we will talk to you then. You, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at counterpress underscore. Uh, you can find me at Kirk Kinsey, Josh. LAFC Josh on Twitter. All right. So we will talk to you all in a few days. Good night. <laughs>